spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Let's roll, man. In this neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. You're invited to share their secrets. I've been waiting for you, boys. You're invited to share their tales. Unless, of course, you're scared. And this is a trip, homie. Tales from the Hood. Welcome back to uh, 31 for 31. Day 12, film 12 in our little playlist of horror Halloween movies. Coming at you with another anthology. The Rusty Kundiefs, 1995 cult classic, Tales from the Hood. Oh, I watched uh, I watched Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good. Uh, yeah, so our second anthology, which in this case is about three drug dealers, Stack, Ball, and Bulldog. And that's who you're Great listening names. to today. We, uh, we, <laughs> Jamie, Cody, and Chris couldn't make it, so you've got... Stack? <laughs> oh, I thought I was Stack. Okay, I'm, I'm Bulldog, and Jamie is... I guess I'm Ball. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that, too. Uh... These three, this trio of drug dealers who roll up to a funeral home looking to make a score... And they're uh, they're greeted by an eccentric William Clarence III playing Mr. Sims, who owns the funeral home and is delightful as just an eccentric. He's basically the crypt keeper because he says, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to sell you these drugs. But first, you got to hear four stories of mine. You got 97 minutes before you head out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, you guys, you guys need to be anywhere. And they're like. And. The- and he pulls the classic, classic move. Oh, I don't have the drugs no. right here. Let me, let me. Take <laughs> oh, you thought down. I was hiding? Love it. Yeah. You thought I was hiding in them in yeah. this uh, casket? No, it's a body. And I'm going to tell you what the, the story behind it. Yeah. Tales from the Hood is a film that I think when it came out, you know, 30 years ago, I think a lot of people maybe looked at the cover or looked at the tagline, which is, you know, very goofy, chill or be chilled. Like this is a the tone of this movie is kind of strange because on one hand it's this cartoony almost farce, and on the other hand it kind of swings and is actually tackling some pretty intense heavy issues. Like it almost lulls you into a sense of you know you're like oh I'm kind of like it it is a tales from the crypt where it's you're enjoying it and it's kind of goofy, and then you're like holy shit this is some heavy shit. It's twenty five percent. Tales from the Crypt meets Leprechaun in the Hood, and it's 75% Candyman or later Jordan Peele. You know? yeah. And I think that it gets erroneously box-setted in with the Leprechaun in the Hood of it all because of the racist, mainly white-produced cash grabs of like hood comedies and strangely hood horror comedies for like 1996 to 2006 or something like that, which... It's gross. And this is really just like, hey, it's called Tales from the Hood. That's what people in the movie refer to their neighborhoods as and that we talk about social issues <laughs> like that's which is very different <laughs> yeah. than just like, hey, really bad backhanded prejudice. Yeah. You can definitely feel 
the work of Spike Lee, who executive produced it, across a bunch of the stories. There's a lot of social commentary that I was surprised by, and, and it does lull you in in the beginning to some fun stories. It has a bit of like Gremlins 2 almost feel to it, where you're just going left and right and laughing at some things. And then it, it really hits down with some hard messages. And it, I think it does it in a smart way through these different stories. There's one that almost lulls you into trying to figure out what's going on with a kid and a monster. And that's the first real shift. And you kind of go through that shift while watching an actual physical change in the movie. And I think it works really well. And I, I'm not sure who did that poster artwork or some of the other things. I feel like it does it a bit of disservice. It, it does make it a bit too cheesy, a bit too, you know, easy nineties, whatever I'll throw it on in the background. Cause a bunch of these stories deserve just to kind of be watched and watched again and, and re visited for their social commentary. Yeah, I don't know much about the distribution of this. I think it was like Savoy, which did some other. Yeah, it was. Probably had an easier time selling schlock than they did selling something thoughtful. So I think that was probably some backhanded, almost pretty racist kind of way to be like, hey, we're releasing the stupids next year. We got to let's throw something on some (laughs) shelves, you know, so. They started off hard with, uh, what was it, a Bronx Tale and then just kind of bounced around so we're we're learning about savoy today but i think outside of that like we did with trick-or-treat i think the easiest way to dive into this is to hope that we all had different favorite shorts and talk about our favorite shorts within this frame narrative unless the frame narrative is your favorite i would kind of doubt it despite clarence williams (laughs) performance being very fun and very camp yeah he is chewing it up i love i loved him i was i was in it as soon as that started there was a point when as we were getting through the rogue cop revelation first story and we came back into the mortuary where i was like "Ooh, is you know is clarence williams is he gonna blink my favorite he he maybe doesn't but that uh but chris it sounds like uh boys do get bruised was was the one that hit you the most you were you were feeling it with the second story yeah that was definitely one that hit me the most that really shifted the tone of the whole movie i I was in it at the beginning tough guy david allen greer known cinema heavy david allen greer (laughs) i mean he's really they they cast him really well because he is like that's the guy i remember growing up with who was in all these like yeah like comedy central movies that were just always in in living color as just like a goofball you know blank man if, if any blank man fans are out there yeah well, those are the real blankies if we're going <laughs> to talk about podcasts <laughs> yeah i feel like boys do get bruised is almost a thesis statement for all of the shorts it, it kind of combined elements of humor horror switching your expectations it had special effects that weren't overly in your face it had some in-camera effects and shadow work that was done really well and i think it captures the idea of what a Halloween movie is what a horror movie is talking about where there's social commentary, there's some fun, there's some scariness. And then as it ends, you start to think about the real world consequences and that there are people who deal with these types of situations and that to them, it, it's an actual horror. And to us, it was it was a bit enjoyable and a bit not. And I think that lingers with you, especially with Boys Duke or Bruce. That one just kind of it ended. and I almost wanted to pause the movie for a little bit and be like, Ah, shit. I I knew it was coming. And then I was like, you know, you hope it's not going to be that. And then maybe it's just because I'm not the type of person that could like hurt a kid. You heard it here (laughs) first. It's tough to see it coming. Chris Bagnello, no (laughs) non-kid herder. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'll, I'll admit yeah, that in here. confidence. In, You're in a safe you know. space for that. But I, I yes. feel like this one was good on the <laughs> Halloween note, too, because I think like just having any sense of stakes with children and having a children's loss of innocence and, you know, children can get hurt in horror um, definitely amplifies that feeling of Halloween dread that you have as a child and just kind of being surrounded by monsters becoming real. I think that is really well cap- you know, captured in this with this degree of the monster being his abuser and the, how that's played in camera and through special effects. And then just the fun reversals that they have with the control he builds back. You know, I thought that was good. And to Chris's point, I think one thing that I'll say about each of these shorts is like just special effects that did not rub me the wrong way. Like I, I then they are trying yeah. and there are some swings and there are some old looking things, but all of them still function well, except for one, which I'm going to bring up at the very end of the podcast. <laughs> but I think we all, I know mean, yeah, yeah, I think we, uh, we're all sucking mm. our teeth on that one, but yeah. Yeah. Watching the drawing get folded up and then, you know, Carl, the dad's body starts getting folded up. I was like, Oh nice. We're going there. We're getting some good practical effects. The first one had, a, a mixture of some cross dissolves and some things and I didn't know where they were going to go and I love that they went full practical for Smooshed. him getting you know crumpled into the floor and I didn't know at first that was a little surprised he's folding it up Pop. I'm like oh is he gonna throw it at him is he gonna get something else and then no he he folds the the page and it was such a visceral feeling yeah. to watch his arm it wasn't a rip like it wasn't, fly a, fo- up and it wasn't break. a fold it was a, cr- no. a good crumple after a while so it's the type of thing now when I like if I fold up a piece of paper to You're rip it, I'm going to think about <laughs> is that. my like, daughter in the envelope before my I little, little letter. Yeah, he went full like Judge yeah. Doom from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, you, I think the clinical term is smoosh, uh, if you will. But Jamie, what was your what was your favorite of the four? I will say seeing Corbin Burnson, best known as Dorn from Major League, be just a racist, bigot Southern senator or man running for Southerner. Governor, even. Or go, is that what he's doing? Yeah, he's for? a little bit of a George Wallace type, you know. Ah, uh, jeez. <laughs> Your favorite. Kind of getting. Yeah, he he is a senator. Well, I, I like seeing his comeuppance the most. Yeah, let's not deal say. with let's not deal with any issues. Let's do a little. Yeah, I don't care. I need to know his <laughs> what office and who what his voting record is. I think I could tell, you know. But yeah, that one was one where you know you have two that have a dead revenge fantasy of reparation both for police violence in the first one and for slavery in that one with an old plantation home and a KKK person campaigning in a plantation home with the souls of the dead slaves in there. And like of the two, the first one goes a little full camp and just doesn't really define itself too, too well. But the, that one was so fun. And the way that I, you know, Jamie can touch on the, the painting involved, I thought was just like, <laughs> really really well handled when yep. you saw certain things le- leaving that painting to amp up the tension a little bit yeah i mean these stories they kind of work as like folk tales where there is a measure of like comeuppance slash rede- uh, not redemption but basically bad people are punished and good people are sort of rewarded and in this sense duke metker who is the crazy southern senator a little prescient of, you know, certain former presidents of ours. Jimmy uh, Carter. Who remained. <laughs> <laughs> another guy named Duke. Yeah. Yeah, another guy named Duke. A little bit about. The thing is that you look at this, and this is 30 years ago. Not only was it prescient, but it was also probably more cynically, like a lot of these 
uh, themes and like the commentary that the film, the shorts are making are, were just as relevant back then as they were now, but it's just, we're paying attention to it more. And especially, I mean, these, you know, you get to this one and I felt like, I was like, oh yeah, these are exactly what's going on. I could, these could be segments on any sort of, you know, short series on a TV show or something right now. And they might have to change the cell phones. Like, yeah, I think the audience changed. itself would react very differently in a, in a better way, just because I think if you watched this one or the first one, which is about a civil rights activist getting killed by cops in a in a bad intentioned police stop, his revenge and all that, I think both of these would be seen as like too camp and too over the top and like, oh, my gosh. That's so over the top as a commentary on Rodney King that it would never happen that way. Or this this political person could never be in the main public sphere running for governor of a state like that's crazy. And now (laughs) that's the sad swing of the pendulum that I watch these and be like, oh, yeah, like that could be a total candidate that could say even some of the things his grooming handler tells him not to say to camera, I feel like would play well to camera now, you know, so. I I really am, you know, to certain audiences. Yeah, yeah. To be well, clear, <laughs> yeah, I think it could play well to the polls, not yeah. to the thinking masses. Let's the, put it that yeah. way. It's it's terrible to hear that line about what quote unquote spooks him, and then you hear that now, and I'm like, shit, that could be on a poster, and it would be yeah, everywhere it would be on some people's Facebooks damn. tomorrow. You know, so yeah, I think that one was probably my favorite as well, and I think the the reason for it too is just how it handles its scares are probably the the most like well-developed of the four. I think a lot of them just put some some extra screws into their buildup to make them fun or make them big or have these moments that require fun effects, especially with the first and second one having real characters supernaturally folded or melting into a cross mural to be crucified you know like i think this one was really the one where it was by needles too crucified by needles which is pretty sweet hey but i i think the the one that the thing that got to me was just this idea that there are possessed dolls in the house and they can't find them and they think they're a rumor but they start to slowly leave white spots on a mural of a woman holding the dolls and that's when you know they've entered the real world and will start to come and bite you and over time it goes from one being missing to three being missing to all of them being missing and that final reveal is like a good ratchet up of tension and you know they've got some fun kind of see kind of blue screen kind of claymation kind of you know I'd, i'd be interested to see how they did it and it looks it looks like that but it's still it's it's tactile enough that it it works and it still feels like it's not just some 1995 CG running at your screen. <laughs> it's done and well. I, I like the stop motion. It's very Gremlins yes, in that sense yes. of the effects work and sort of the the tone of it as well. Yeah, it's not it's not yet small soul. <laughs> but in going with the the commentary, like also just how much the American flag plays in it. Metker is beating the doll with an American flag. He dies draped in an American flag. Like that, It's not just this asshole who's a racist. It's like American history. 
Yeah, and you give it all the credit of like, okay, he's being attacked by dolls. You can lay it on thick with that. And probably this is the setting where that is the most effective way to put that in a movie. You know, like, because any other movie, it would be like, Jesus Christ, you know, it's, it's this movie called Born on the Fourth of July. You know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, racism is is in our DNA. You know, we bleed on the stripes. It's like, yeah, that's a little heavy handed. But with this, it's like, oh, you know. We're already having, you know, a demon fucking mortician. We can we can add some of that kind of spice and it'll work better, you know. So what I'm getting at is like this movie came out 30 years ago. No one was listening. And, you know, we're still dealing with this shit today. Unfortunately, it's still tragically still relevant. So it's like sometimes yeah. maybe we have to be like hitting people over the head, particularly white audiences to be like, listen, you need to get like the fucking. Yeah, it's here. because Gen Xers thought of themselves so well in those times in 1995 and thought that racism was over them that we still are having reckonings today so you know that we we all failed then and we're trying to see if we'll fail again i hope not but one small thing about this story i do love a good stair fall but i feel like it's getting overused yeah that th this is because i was trying to look up the stats and it's only like 10,000 people a year dying from falling falling down the stairs and i feel like it is very common there's in two in this one one death one crippling so uh, you know but one i think both are explained supernaturally so i don't know if that's in the stats you read Chris. yeah how many of those falls a year are caused by a magically possessed <laughs> magical voodoo uh, or paper product, or hoodoo right you know? But those dolls, those dolls seem very powerful. To I feel like to resort to a stair fall, they could have done a little more, like a little more. On they wanted to kid. give him an easy out. You know, he was, he was, he wasn't the main target. Let's put. I do like the. I told you not to let anyone in this car. <laughs> I didn't let anyone in, and then you're like, you you don't really see anything at first, and then the doll just comes. I want that doll. Car. I, yeah, that's yeah. a good collectible for sure. That would scare you in the middle of the night, but. Jamie, were you getting to uh, hardcore convert? Hardcore convert, which is really intense, and unlike the other ones, is pretty much just full on just morality dark. tale. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it it felt like if Spike Lee wanted to make a Saw movie. Yeah, at the end there, yeah, I I definitely yeah. think I was I that's was like the one holy that shit. Started <laughs> the slowest for me, you know, is about a hardened killer who is, a, you know, a, definitely a gangster who is just fully living in the life uh as he describes it of just like following my own rules having my own back killing who needs to be killed and then the whole thing turns into this big pseudo bargaining uh, in the afterlife as it turns out about you know black on black crime and him being related to the what it's probably the starkest imagery other than just like gang shootings is they mix gang shooting footage with lynching and kkk imagery in this really stark clockwork orange he's got his you know he's all tied up to a machine injecting all these these thoughts and feelings into him where he has to have this epiphany about him finally regretting how he has essentially portrayed his brethren as they describe it in the movie and i think that that's super tough and i, I definitely think that the handling of it gets really you know, you understand why they set up this really contrived situation that seems like it's going to be a lesser creep show kind of weird jail experiment. And then once it actually gets to where it's going, you're like, they wanted to have this music video for the song that came out on this soundtrack called Born to Die be about this comparison of gang violence 
to lynching and historical Jim Crow violence. And that's super tough to watch, but it's also really powerful and effective in an otherwise forgettable short. You know, that they, that's the reason I think it exists, basically. And they start off with him in that, or a little before, after they start off when he's in the cell next to oh, yeah. what appears to be like a leader of white supremacists who's just like a neo-Nazi. And he's going back and forth and giving you the intro to these ideas. And part of it for me, I was trying to wonder as I was watching it and seeing these images combined in, in montage this way of, of what they were trying to add into the conversation, the uh, the effect of that, if it's... If it's showing that there is sort of this whitewashing through history by the KKK and neo-Nazis of what's going on in um, poor neighborhoods and gang communities in the black community, and that even us looking back on on those times and what's currently happening in comparison is still being told through the white supremacist KKK eyes and, and their rewrite of history. I don't know if it, if it hit all those marks, but for me, I was beginning to question that if if we were supposed to feel like this this intro to this KKK uh, white supremacist neo-Nazi leader guy in the prison was part of what they were talking about in the conversation at the end with these montages that, you know, that's one of their messages that they're trying to trick people into is that your violence on your own race helps them in a way. Yeah, it starts to be difficult territory where you you're starting to wonder if the empathy is actually for that character in a layered way of being like, no, this is maybe a commentary over the over projected responsibility of communities of color that gets put on them, especially in the nineties and the, you know, the kind of super criminals and, you know, super predator era. If it was more about like, yeah, that that was almost the beginning of that dream sequence of being like, no, it's it's not about that as much as it is the systemic racism that exists. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, and the, and the doctor doing it is African American, so I don't think it, I don't think it's looking for those answers or even necessarily those questions. But that was something that yeah. popped up in my head, just because of how visceral the scenes are, where he's sitting there with this neo Nazi white supremacist leader, and it's a type of. It would thing be hard to ignore those realities w- at the same time if you're giving us a literal yeah. neo Nazi talking about the white world order. Yeah. and yeah, they put yeah they put him in for a reason to put that thought in my head, and I was like, oh. Okay, now as a white person dealing with this, looking back on history, thinking about all the history classes I've taken or just anything I've you know read that has been provided to me by school and those types of things, most of it was written by white people looking back. So can I even believe what it's trying to tell me in certain aspects of what this white person is telling me how to view black people or should I believe the doctor or is there, it's just a larger question that I don't think has an answer, but it's, it's a, it, it's a complicated quagmire. Um, and certainly that yeah. the inmate that he meets is the most, probably the most next to the montage that happens later, the most disturbing part of the entire film. It's yeah. the character. is He's just pure. Yeah. Evil. He's just been pure evil. Yeah. Anytime you get into like actual, late era neo-nazi like world order plans in detail it's like that's the most horrifying sounding stuff yeah like oh absolutely this is how you'll fit into this plan it's like okay you know so that's why it's hard to go from that to let's 
then blame this this young black man for the problems of his community. It's like, oh, that's a stretch then, you know? <laughs> I, I Well, I saw it more as like a, um, you know, this is coming off the heels of this film, Tales from the Hood is coming out on the heels of like Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood. Right. So there is like- It does I take that Boys in the Hood kind of morality seriously. Just, yeah. just, just looking inward, not obviously not, um, it, just looking at it and being like, this, the, all these things are problems and this gang violence is not the answer is what I would, yeah. is how I kind of yeah. put that. And, and I think it's also looking at the question of, did the white gang violence in the you know early turn of the century against African-Americans create this culture of violence just in general within people or, you know, is that something that just through learning by growing up through this terrible violence always around your family now all you know is violence and that we don't now blame um, the cause of this. We we look at the victims and start to question them first versus, you know, the guy who's the homicidal neo-Nazi white supremacist doesn't have to go into the sensory deprivation chamber. I'd watch at the that. End. I'd see where he'd go. But <laughs> I, I think that's the thing that well, yeah. I'm most impressed by by this portion is if you just had the really basic setup of a a killer then being told like if you do an alex from clockwork orange situation about your violence you'll be set free and then it all ending up being kind of this bargain to become alive again and since he doesn't take responsibility he dies like i get that but i think in the middle having that really really poetic juxtaposition music video essentially bring is the reason that there's enough extra textual stuff that we're trying to bring into it that's like oh this is a super interesting question and then when he asks questions about his responsibility those aren't just like an evil character be brushing things aside to me at least it's like no those are questions that like are almost arguable and like interesting to think about so i don't know i think that's where on its face yeah it is like it does have a lot of that voice to society helping to sustain your own community by not bringing about violence against other people in your community just to scrape, you know, collect scraps together or something like that. I, I think that that's the thing that's most on its face. But then, yeah, after coming through the obviousness of like dying with the American flag wrapped around you, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is something to think about for sure. You know, and uh, very interesting. Yeah. And to me, this, this felt like when Spike Lee probably came into the editing room. Yes. hundred percent. You know, you, you get you you got everyone now locked in. You had dolls. You had a you had a pretty overt message, but it was it was a mix of fun and there's some strange humor to it with the dolls and the way like the painting changes and then there's actual just horrific violence. And then you you get fully into this one and it it feels like the moment when Spike Lee finally comes in and says, "All right, you know we played around. You know the ideas." Now you're gonna have to sit there with your eyes open. It's uh, it's very similar to Black Klansman, which also has like a little bit of a comic tone at times. You know, like there is a lot of the fun of him impersonating a white person and uh, getting one over on the KKK. And then at the end of that movie, we see the cross burning in the distance, and then we're treated to I don't I don't want to say treated, we're subjected, <laughs> I should say. To a montage, we're tricked. Just, we're tricked. Yeah, not treated. We're tr- yeah, yeah, we're tricked um, to a montage of just real world, like the 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 rat, uh, the 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 burning, like the tiki torch. What was that? Charlottesville 
the march in Charlottesville with all those Nazis and all that. Uh, the victim, uh, Heather Daniel Heyer, was you know killed in that attack. And just the, the end of that film just really left me, like everyone in the theater, just like dead silent and because we're just witnessing this. And I mean, he, you know, Spike Lee does these style kind of in-your-face montages, these moments. In, in a lot of his films, he does it, you know, with insults through Do the Right Thing, and there's uh there's like the mirror moment in 25th hour and this this felt like like his moment to come in and say you know i've got you locked in it's too fucking bad you don't want to look now you gotta yeah both movies start fun and then end with a thinker for sure and i think that's that's my one complaint about this one is it it leaves you with that you're hungry for the resolution of the frame narrative and we get back to realizing that the three people who do eventually kill the subject of all of that re-education in the last short his three killers are the three men bulldog and our friends here <laughs> I stack and stack and ball from uh from the beginning, you know, they, they're involved and they're actually, you know, tricked into seeing that their own coffins are the prize waiting for them, not drugs. They were killed. They're in hell. And we get the grand reveal that Clarence Williams is a giant demon or the devil in some pretty severely bad CGI. And the worst part of the movie not is the slithering tongue coming out of the gap in his teeth, but all of them wiggling in cgi flames <laughs> in <a> pretty, <laughs> yeah. if that's the last image it, that we're gonna have and like the background folding right. away in uh, the it looks like spawn or something right like. it's very oh, yeah. it's very spawn or bedazzled if you will and i, I yeah. didn't necessarily enjoy that as a last takeaway it's very fun it's very playful it's very much like end your morality tale on that fun note but just in terms of going from the imagery we were just subjected to thoughtfulness of that which i think we are writing a lot into by the way but you know <laughs> it plays well 30 years later for sure and for those reasons i think that that's uh definitely it's a hard swing it's a very Ups, drastic yeah, and swing it, you know we, then you we, get we just came from yeah. yeah it's it's almost it's almost missing something there but it it does make you deal with the message more than say hey we're going to give you all the answers in the message and and I think for a different audience, it might feel different. But in the current world we're in, you just you're sit, we're all sitting there dealing with it, and then to cut back to half CG, half <laughs> animatronic Satan. That like, could be. Uh, that's okay, more I like the Leprechaun in the Hood ending, you know. So I definitely think that I was fast to ignore that and just go back to thinking about the parts that were really enjoyable about the stories. And, you know, I haven't seen tales from the hood two and three, which have come out in the last three years. I know that like yeah, the franchise, the director himself is admittedly like not impressed with them. So whatever, even though they have Keith David and Tony Todd as the new storytellers, that's attractive, but I don't know if I'll be jumping into that, but I do like the idea of having this as if you're going to do this kind of Halloween morality tale. I liked all four of these narratives and what they projected as like very prescient or, you know, more cutting edge ideas for general audiences than we're used to rather than what we're getting with trick or treat. Equally important not to, you know, <laughs> take out your smush some pumpkins too early as a, as a moral tale. But um, <laughs> I think that that's uh something where you're not usually left with like, oh, okay, as 
as a general audience, we're ha- experiencing this movie very differently than for maybe a projected target audience that's experiencing this is like their everyday horrors made fully realized in camp and, you know, like the full pageantry of a horror movie. So I think that made it really interesting. It made it like something that you might see on the list and you might think is like, oh, you know, that's just another throwaway like creep show too. That, but I think brings up a lot more interesting than ideas than like Stephen King's The Raft short or something. <laughs> as much as I think that's <laughs> yeah, funny. I mean that's well, at the top of this. You know, we talked about our love of horror and like this is like a, a textbook example of like using horror in a way that is more profound than maybe people get it credit for at first. Um, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a VHS by its case. Yes, please. Especially if it's got a skull <laughs> yeah. with sunglasses on it, you know, it could <laughs> be a good. gold tooth could be good. Yeah. And I think that's something that I think is, is hard from an extra textual way. Cause I love to bring that word in uh, just to think like, Oh, it's, it's upsetting that this movie is trying to stand out amongst its peers. And, you know, I think it f- slipped just because of copies of the name of copies in the marketing, even just the how the word hood was used for that decade span as just such a racist term from white marketers and things like that. It, it's just it starts to get diluted at, in the bunch where I remember having seen this movie way too young. And when it was reintroduced to, for the podcast, having now seen it, like I mistakenly grouped it in another category of films that I would not think of as fair, you know, and and now definitely I'm glad to have revisited it and seen like, gosh, some of the some of the things being said in the police stop murder one, you know, if I had watched that a year ago, it probably would have been particularly hard just because of how much that would be ripped from the headlines and continues to be ripped from the headlines, but especially then. Cynically, it's almost like this movie was a cry in the void. In the same way that almost like do the right thing, the ending of that movie when Radio Rahim is killed and how awful it is. And, you know, and this film does the same thing. And it was also 30 years ago. And not to get down a quagmire, maybe I'll just that's I, your if I don't get to it. Yeah, if I don't get to a good point, yeah. we'll just delete this section. But I don't know there, there's something to that, that these films from both from black filmmakers were telling, were saying like, you know, there is a problem. Like there is, there is systemic racism, you know, cops are committing violence against, you know, members of the black community and nothing's being done about it. And like, you know, there's a a common sign that people hold up. It's not like there's more cop killings than there were 30 years ago. It's just that we're paying attention and, you know. And that's the same thing with media language and, you know, how people start to anticipate things with tropes and, how we've become comfortable as white audience members with these things too, as being something we can see ourselves not as the villains of, and then think of as being okay and us being, you know, with the protagonists and that being okay for our own moral licensing, you know, in a way. And I think that's why when people bring up Get Out or us or other, you know, the new Candyman and even the old Candyman is saying that they're very new and cutting edge. I think for certain audiences it would be like, no, maybe there's just a, treasure trove of underseen movies that have been saying the exact same thing well outside of tales from the hood you know we almost talked about ganja and hess on this podcast definitely wanted to keep that 
probably out of a Halloween bucket, almost because it would belittle the movie that Gungeon is in a way <laughs> to, to consider it fun in any way. But I think that, you know, there's an entire pantheon well before the 90s, well before the 80s of movies that address these same topics just in the dressings of their day. And just because we're catching up to it as general audiences, quote unquote, and basically as white audiences for folks that you know, are marketed to as general audiences erroneously. Like that doesn't mean that they're cutting edge ideas. They're, they're usually rehashes of things that have already been addressed. Take the new Candyman movie, for example, <laughs> like you would think that that was going to be fresh. It's literally a remake of something from 1992 that was talking <laughs> about that same kind of stuff then. So, um, yeah. And from watching Candyman for this, it, it still all felt the same. And, and I'm wondering if when this movie came out or, or has been rewatched over the years if people do a similar disingenuous conversation like they do for do the right thing like jamie was saying where jamie brought up radio raheem's death but a lot of people always just talk about oh at the end he throws the the trash can in the window and it's like if someone watched this oh at the end they were they were dead the whole time and he was the devil it's like that's that wasn't the message you missed the part yeah. before. And I think that's the interesting too, just to talk about do the right thing is this is kind of like the first couple of years where you don't get that, like especially white reading of the well, but he, you know, he threw it through the window. It's more like, and he threw it through the window of like that. I feel like we're finally comfortable as a generalized culture as you know all these brands start to finally pick up on blm and this is just becoming common parlance now it's like yeah understanding you know what was considerably considered rioting and looting and all of these horrible things to white people in the 90s now is like an active frustration that is reasonable for that character in that time and like that's okay and that's not necessarily something that gives anybody the right to disrespect that character's decisions. You know, like I've, I, that's a lot of people have been talking about that movie, of course, in the last year and a half. And I think that that's finally making sense to everyone watching it rather than just people who can see themselves in that person's shoes. Exactly. And that's been refreshing because I remember watching that for the first time in high school with a group and then being like, Oh, it's so bad that everybody was wrong there. And it's like, Oh <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ignatius, yeah. You know? it really, you know, yeah so i feel like this is one that you could introduce to a group of friends and bring it up and people will have either interesting memories of it or i've seen it on vhs or someone's older brother or someone had it in the basement and put it on and now i think it would be a brand new conversation to watch it again i think it would be very interesting to watch it with a similar age group as yourself and then be able to deal with how you react to some of these questions in the movie because of its age and how little has changed. I think that's why you know we we ended up going with it for this list, this uh, the playlist. I think it's a great like horror movie. It is a lot of fun, but it is also you know diving into some heavy themes and subjects. You know, thirty years on, we're, I mean, there's a tales from the tales from the hood two, three, and there there'll probably be a four and a five. There's yeah, it it feels like it's in direct conversation still with what Jordan Peele is doing now and is just starting to get recognition for as a black filmmaker yeah and i think it all we we mentioned how it ends on really reflective notes but i think it really fits in well by being able to deliver those things most effectively through just fun smart 
filmmaking choices that keeps it airy and moving along quickly and so that things don't don't feel over stuffy so that these messages are like as concise as need be and i think there's there's some smart filmmaking there to get that going because that's the worst part of any anthology movie is when you figured out what it's all about and then it's 20 more minutes <laughs> you know so i never felt like this was exactly there for 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 these four shorts uh, maybe the fifth one. <laughs> yeah, I think I figured out what was going on in the in the mortician's office, but you know, whatever. Leading in from that into tomorrow's movie, which will also have some very solid stop motion animation, some mixture of different stories, no social commentary whatsoever, <laughs> no social commentary, some really great camera work, and uh, yeah, less. Less of something that's important and more of something it's that's important fun. to people who like f- filmmaking. <laughs> it's for horror fans. Yeah. This one's going to be a treat. And it's definitely was a blast for us all to watch because we're planning on watching it together in the same room. Ba-ba-ba. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Vaccination life. So going to be fun. It's been a long time. You know, I, I think it's always important to watch these and just think like, oh, it's really interesting to think of myself and probably where I was when I watched this as a teenager and how much I've just completely realized how stupid I was pretty much every year on repeats <laughs> um, about so much of the nuance that I would have missed about this movie in the past. So, you know, that's the reason that rewatches are important. But uh, but yeah, I, thanks for joining everybody. And I think you'll definitely enjoy this one but be left with some some thoughts and you'll definitely enjoy tomorrow's and probably not be left with any uh too too uh too many things keeping you up at night or anything like to match this but we'll talk to you then <laughs>